0: dot com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. This week, we'll be talking, ooh, the problem with youth development. I guess that's a question mark. Uh, MLS Roundup, uh, the Guns of Navarone, European League Roundup, Tuchel, Dest, Arteta, Ole, World Cup near misses, Lasso, U.S. wins National Team Bullies, the Starling, Azteca Stadium, Wings, water skiing, and so much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox Soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. How are you doing, Mossy, on this Monday, September 27th in the year 2021?
2: Doing well after my uh, Wolverines uh, survived a catastrophic second half against your Scarlet Knights. So I'm, I'm very relieved to come out with a W.
1: Well... For those that, that didn't watch, and I don't know why you wouldn't watch um, my Scarlet Knights of Rutgers uh, took on your Wolverines of uh, University of Michigan in the um, in the college football matchup. And I have to say, and not, I, I, everybody knows I am certainly not a, uh, a an expert when it comes to the, uh, the game of football. Um, I think we, we we let one get away. Uh, I think we let you off the hook as the Wolverines. Now, I was talking to my friend Rob Stone last night, and he says we actually did Fox a favor in doing that because now your Wolverines continue to be 4-0, and oh, and we have the Wolverines coming up on, on our air and everything. So we never let it be said that the uh, Rutgers Scarlet Knights weren't benevolent uh, and charitable when it comes to the bigger picture here and what's good for me, I guess. Having said that, uh, I, I thought that they were really good and they gave you guys a game. Now, is it that Rutgers is that much better now or is it that your Wolverines are that much worse?
2: Well, Rutgers, first off, is an exceptionally well-coached team. I love Greg Schiano, so you should be very happy with who you have at the helm there. He's our coach, right? Correct. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, but I think this had more to do with Michigan not being that good. I know your lovely wife, who is an Ohio State fan, yeah. was watching that game with you and rooting against Michigan as she does every week. I'm right. very disappointed that they survived at the end. <laughs> Let me say this to your wife and to... Anybody else out there that takes pleasure in watching Michigan lose?
1: Stu will, Holden's wife. There's another one.
2: You will get many of oppor- many opportunities okay. in the coming weeks. <laughs> uh, I think beginning this upcoming Saturday against it Wisconsin real, and right? Madison, a game that is on Fox, yes. which is what Rob Stone meant. He wanted Michigan to be four and zero going into that game because I think the pregame show is going to be from Madison for that one. So, uh, but I, I predict Michigan will lose that game and and many other
1: games <laughs>
2: left this season.
1: All right. Um, uh, did you watch anything interesting, Mossy, uh, over this past week? I think worthwhile, worth noting? I've got three
2: things for you. I I banged out uh, the five episodes of Money Heist that dropped on Netflix recently. That's the show about the bank robbers in Madrid. Um, I watched the 86 Mets 30 for 30, which I greatly enjoyed, even though I'm a Yankees fan. uh, Growing up in New York, the Mets are one of those iconic New York sports teams, uh, fascinating with Doc Good and Daryl Strawberry, etc. Keith Hernandez, who uh, will always have a special place in my heart because uh, that is my favorite Seinfeld episode ever. I think it's the greatest episode in the history of television, the one that he appeared in. Um, so I watched that. Uh, and then, you know, I know there are folks that work on this podcast that think I don't listen to you. I got a little bit of feedback last week that I need to stop looking down at my phone when you're talking. I need to at least pretend like I'm. I'm used
1: to it. I'm, um, I, I don't take it personally. But believe
2: it or not, I do uh, absorb certain things you say. So I did watch the John of God documentary. Oh, you did. On okay. Yes. All right. Um, did you
1: watch it with subtitles, or did you watch it in Portuguese?
2: Well, I, I, I kept the subtitles on, but obviously, okay, I couldn't right, understand right, in Portuguese. Okay. Um, boy, what a what a creepy in the yeah. It was really creepy. <laughs> it was very strange.
1: Yes. All right. Well, cool. Well, At least uh, that you you. At least I, you're admitting on the pod that you listen to some of the stuff that, that I say. Um, okay, let's see. What uh, what do I have for you this week? Uh, a couple of different things. Some retro stuff and some, some newer stuff. Uh, when it comes to the newer stuff, um, The Starling, which I think is on, uh, it just dropped on Netflix. Uh, uh, stars uh, Melissa McCarthy uh, and Chris O'Dowd, Kevin Kline. Um, it's OK. It's, it's not great. Uh, there's this thing when comedians and we associate Melissa McCarthy with some incredible comedy and she's she's a wonderful comedic actress where they you know, they, they don't want to just settle for that and they want to do some other things. And I think she's actually done a really good job of kind of transitioning, doing that Jim Carrey sort of thing. Not full Jim Carrey yet, because there's still always an element of uh, of humor um, and, and wit. Even when she's doing uh, much more drama, Uh, this is this is an example of that. It just never really gets going um, in terms. So I I think the story ultimately was pretty thin and they didn't make it any more robust in uh, in a somatic telling of that. So but but uh, definitely worth the the hour and a half. Uh, That's one. Uh, A retro uh, one would be uh, Guns of Navarone, which I've never seen before. And for those that don't know, it starred Gregory Peck and David Niven and Anthony Quinn and it's actually a fictitious Greek isle um, that this group of, uh, of soldiers um, uh, look to capture and uh, to save a, a group um, that is held prisoner there. And the Germans are holding it and there's huge, huge guns. Anyway, it's really, really fun and interesting. It's, it's obviously very old relative to where we are right now. And that's uh, I think it still holds up in terms of a of a war movie. And there's really interesting performances in that. And I had never seen it, especially since, you know, the Greek aspect of it um, and having been in the Greek Isles and 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 all of those different islands. It was interesting to see how Greece, especially in that time, was incorporated into the making of that film. Uh, So that was fun, too. And then as we always talk about the continuation of uh, of of Lasso, Ted, uh, Ted Lasso, I was I was pleasantly surprised by this week. I came out of, uh, out of this week's episode with a much more positive and um, excited outlook uh, if this is, I guess, the direction uh, that it's going. It's still getting a little soapy, um, and that's not necessarily always a bad thing in that, you know, the the dramas and the trials and tribulations that everybody's, uh, everybody has um it's there's so much of it going on going on right now. But I, I did like this one for some reason. And I, I can't put my finger on why. Uh, there is very little to no type of soccer going on. And maybe that's a good, good thing for this quote unquote soccer show, which we know really isn't about soccer when it's all said and done. Although I was talking to a, a friend of mine about the, the with the lack of soccer in Lasso, you do lose some of the context of what is happening in the lives in that. You don't really know where they are and how they're faring. And that has a, a big bearing on some of the stories that they're trying to tell. And so um, I think he felt that we were kind of left in the dark as to what's happening on that soccer field, which relates so much to everything that's going on. So anyway, thumbs up uh, for this week when it comes uh, to Ted Lasso. So we'll see what happens next week. Uh, anything else, Masi?
2: No, let me just say, I agree with you on Lasso. I thought this was the best episode of this season for sure. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, interested in the uh, Jamie, Roy, Keeley dynamic with them both saying they love her within seconds of each other. Is that going to turn into a little bit of a love triangle there? What do you it, think? Is
1: Has Roy gotten old yet for you? Like, the, the character. like <laughs> it, it, I know what it is, and it, it, is, it is limiting. But at some point, just being an asshole constantly gets old for everybody. Right. And I know we see glimpses uh, and <laughs> what well, we can't say asshole and um, asshole, oh. asshole, 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 asshole. All right. here we go. Yeah. So I don't know. I think it, it's starting to get a little old uh, for me. Okay, cool. Well, at least you agree with it when it comes to Lasso. All right, shall, uh, shall we light this candle? you ready? Let's do it. All right, uh, as you know, each and every week, we kick the pod off with... Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, it's time for my State of the Union, where I look at a part of the game from an American perspective. And this week, it goes a little something like this. If you're an MLS team like FC Dallas or New York Red Bulls, hanging your hat on the success of your youth development and your history of selling players to Europe, You can't just expect your fans, your customers, to share your excitement and pride in your accomplishments. Not all MLS fans want to spend their money, their time and their heart on teams that are seemingly structured and function as satellites, feeders or farm teams to the rest of the world. And certainly not if it's also seen as being done at the expense of competing within MLS. The allure and aspiration of Europe is understandable and undeniable. Money prestige, and competition make it a powerful draw, and MLS historically hasn't measured up. It's hard to be, quote, the league of choice when your domestic talent doesn't choose it. And if they do, it's only as a stepping stone to bigger and better things. MLS teams can and should develop talent. MLS teams can and should sell talent. But until MLS teams also fully commit to retaining talent in an effort to actually help them better compete in what should be the priority of any professional team winning the league, then don't expect fans, customers to accept it, be happy with it or support it. All right, Mossy, so there's my uh, State of the Union for uh, for this week, and it it, it comes relative to a a response in the form of a tweet and a statement, if you will, um, by one of the uh, supporters groups of the New York Red Bulls, Viking Army. Um, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. You can read their their, their statement, but you know, here's the gist of it. We understand the team does make their effort week in and week out, but being part of a grand scheme experiment has left us tired and aggravated. We are tired of seeing class talent be shipped out every year to our European partner teams and being replaced with unproven players. And that, in a nutshell, is what we were ta- what I was trying to talk about here in uh, in in the State of the Union because. We've seen over the last couple of years, in a very formal sense, Major League Soccer really lean in to player development. And that in and of itself is not a problem. That's not what I'm yelling and screaming about uh, here. not even yelling and screaming about it. it. It's doing that and sort of abdicating your responsibility to, as I said, not just your fans, but your customers, to give them a team that is... Like I said, doing what any team should be doing, competing for the league. And as we said time and time again, MLS bends over backwards to enable teams because of their restrictions and because of the, uh, uh, you know, the, the rules to enable you to compete, to enable you to compete consistently. And when you don't do something like that, and on the other hand, tout how great your youth system is, that's a problem because there are MLS teams that have that proper balance, that are able to do both teams. And look, I'm not saying that in the past the Red Bulls haven't been good, but we, we are in, two, in 2021. And if this is what you are, um, I just don't I don't think that that's I don't think that that's good enough. And once again. Don Garber came out very, very clearly a few years ago and said, we are going to be involved in the world marketplace when it comes to selling uh, players. And they, like the teams, have championed all of this talent that we have amassed and that we have sold to other uh, to other teams. That's all fine and well. That is all good. But to expect MLS fans and mass to just sit there and say, thank you, sir, can I have some more? Oh, that's so wonderful what you guys have done. I'm so proud of seeing my insert MLS team de- developed player now playing and starring someplace else. No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not buying that. And I'm going to you know, stand up on behalf of whether it's those in the Viking Army or anybody else out there that says, I am paying money to see a team compete. Now, if you don't want to do that, then be honest with us. All right, and tell everybody ahead of time, because this is false advertising, All right, because I have yet to see somebody come out and at least be honest, if that's what you're going to do and say, listen, we're just going to stand on our development and we're going to celebrate them and we're going to send out social media stuff about them. And that is what you are buying. You are buying a glimpse and sometimes a very, very short glimpse of the stars of tomorrow that are then are going to star for teams other than the team that you are paying money for. If you're honest and open and upfront about that, fair enough. That's not a problem. And then Either the customers say, I'm good with that, no problem, and I will, I will buy that. Or somebody say, you know what, that is not for me. And that there are people that are saying, no, that is not for me, especially when you are not being honest and upfront and saying that. Uh, I want to make sure that that voice is heard, because I think it's an absolutely um, relevant type of notion out there that is sometimes getting lost now in this effort to champion all of the development that MLS teams are uh, having right now. Where am I wrong, Mossy?
2: Well, let's start with MLS in general, and then we'll zero in on these two franchises. You could argue that outside of eight to 10 clubs in Europe, Everyone right now is a selling club to some degree. It's just a matter of where you fall in the food chain.
1: Hold on, though. Uh, This is not an Ajax type of situation. This is not a Red Bull Salzburg type of situation. I'm sorry. I just want to make sure that people understand what we are talking about here. Those teams, yes, they are traditionally looked at and historically looked at as selling teams, but they are constantly involved in the championship and competing for titles.
2: Right. So... MLS fought that for a long time. And as you said, in recent years, they've embraced the notion of being a selling league. I've talked a lot on this podcast about how there's a difference between being a great league and a great developmental league. Nobody thinks Ligue 1 is a great league, but it's a great developmental league. It's where all these French World Cup winning players came from. And MLS for now seems content with being known as a great developmental league. Uh, You say that's all fine and good. But you said it somewhat disdainfully. So uh, does that mean you don't agree with that overarching strategy? B-
1: because that's league? not what, at least the way I look at it, and I know I'm an old guy. All right, I know I've been around. But it does give me context and does give me perspective, maybe more so than others out there. That's not the way that I looked at back in 1996 when this league dropped. That's not what I was promised. That's not the way that I look at this league. I look at this league as a very, very different and unique type of prospect here, okay? Yes, there are challenges that other leagues and other countries and cultures don't have because of what the United States and Canada is uh, relative to, uh, to other sports, other leagues, and obviously uh, our history. But I don't look at this league as at any moment I, uh, settling, settling for just being a feeder league, for just being, whether it's the truth or just the perception, and perception is just as important, I, I don't think that that's what MLS should aspire to. Now, if MLS has just said, you know what, this is a fight we can't win, um, or it's a fight we can win, but it's going to take so long, that would I would understand that, but that would hurt me. Because I thought that this was a battle to find a way to be the best, to find a way to have that migration, both that physical migration of players coming to your league. But more importantly, that that philosophical and mental uh, type of migration of the world turning their attention to North America when it comes to a league. Now that's a long-term type of process and it's very challenging. And there's probably many that say that can never ever happen. But that has always been the goal the way that I see it and not to settle for just being a feeder league. And, and I worry that that is happening. Now, I'm not saying that, that that's necessarily what is a way everybody believes in MLS. But when you do something like this, which is what I've described here, it. It tells me that you are settling and I don't I don't ever want to do that because. But if you want to do the opposite thing, it's going to take time. And guess what? It's going to take money. It's going to take a lot of money and it's going to take incentivizing players and not just foreign players to come here and and view it as of choice. But incentivizing young, domestically developed talent to stay here and make this their league of choice. And you know what? You're going to have to overpay the rub on all of this is that. Domestic talent doesn't sell. And when I say sell, I'm not talking about selling to Europe. I'm talking about selling domestically. It's not sexy. It's not big names. And uh, unfortunately, there's a huge a segment of the United States soccer uh, uh, community that doesn't view it as, as valuable as foreign talent.
2: Now, I said everybody's a selling club, but uh, certain teams do lean into that as their identity sure. more than others, like the Red Bulls and FC Dallas. Um, so is that the issue? Would you be okay with them selling off their young domestic talent if they were reinvesting that money, bringing in uh, big stars and aggressively trying to win? Um, is that the problem that you think for these two franchises it has become development for development's sake? Yeah. Now, FC Dallas would argue they have invested that money. They just did so poorly. So this is an issue of incompetence rather than <laughs> philosophy.
1: Uh, but, All right. They're just incompetent. <laughs> but So what do you make of that? No, well, I mean, look, if you look at uh, Sporting KC, um, you, it doesn't mean you can't develop talent, like I said. It doesn't mean you can't sell that talent and be very, very proud of that talent that you that you sell. But it all has to be with an eye to being the best that you can be and comp- and in this in this case, competing in the league that, like I said, bends over backwards to enable you to compete. You don't have to do crazy things to be able to compete in this in this league. And so, yeah, it's it is a balance, but it is. It is frustrating because I think that you've given people an out. You've given people a safety net, if you will, to say, well, look at all the talent we're developing. There's the credibility. There's the change of perception because look, we can can develop great talent that then gets uh, sent to a bigger and better league. And that in and of itself is a horrible message sometimes to send. There is a good part of that message because, hey, we can develop talent and that's great. And there's lots of talent in the United States, but it's a bad message to send if you're building Major League Soccer to be something bigger, because what does it say? It says that is bigger and better. And that's where your attention is. And for the American viewer, okay, that is used in major sports uh, and most sports out there in getting the best, that is a problem. It's been a problem since 1996. It continues to be a problem. And when I see it, it's aspirated in this way, that, that irritates me.
2: I do think MLS would prefer the players to at least stick around for a little bit. They don't love these Wesson, McKinney, Giorena cases where they go straight from academies to Europe. They would at least like it to be like a Tyler Adams or Brendan Aronson and Caden Clark, Ricardo Pepe if he goes in a year or two. Uh, So I think that's true. Now, does the market play into this? Is it uh, especially galling to you to see a New York team operate in this way?
1: A hundred percent. I mean, and I do have higher expectations when it comes to a New York team. Uh, and we talked about the the New York market. And that's there is. Forever going to be attachment because of what New York is, because of the size of the market, because of the history of the market, and because of the expectations of the market that you do things bigger and bold, and that they have been acting, as we said, both teams to a certain extent in different ways, acting as small market teams. I don't think that that's good for the individual clubs and for their brands, and I don't think that it is good uh, for the league. And we're and in the case of NYCFC, or in the case of Colorado, or in the case, as I said, of, of Red Bulls, where You have these, you're part of a, uh, you're a satellite of the mothership. That in and of itself rubs me the wrong way. Unless you are actually doing things where it makes you better and enables you to compete, then it's hard, you know, when you are part of that family, but you are not treated as an equal part of that family and you're, you're relying on trickle down type of stuff. Well, we know what trickle down economics sometimes does and sometimes doesn't, then that's a problem. And it's, and it, it, it. It frustrates me and that it frustrates fans. Okay, should not be a surprise to anybody. And it's easy for us to say, well, you should just support your team no matter what. No, you shouldn't support your team no matter what. If your team and and I know oftentimes I talk in terms of business uh, and, and I talk and I use, you know, customer and stuff like that. I don't look at it as pejorative. These are people that you are asking to pay money for a product. Okay, and this product. Is going to be compared and contrasted with everything else that's going on, for example, in their market, both sports and entertainment, and also the unique aspect of, of soccer in the United States, is it's going to be compared and contrasted with the rest of the world. And when you come up wanting, either because you don't think that the quality's there, or in this instance, because you think that the priority isn't about actually winning the league, that's a bad message. That's a bad message to sell from a competitive standpoint, and it's a bad message to sell from a business standpoint.
2: What about? I know I'm going to get a rise out of you okay. by bringing this up, but I have to. What about the argument that MLS, by operating this way, is benefiting the U.S. national team uh, by having the best young American players go to top European clubs? That, in a way, we're finally seeing for the first time that synergy between MLS and the U.S. national team that folks have been pining for.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can you can certainly you can certainly look at that. Um, you know, Serginho Dest uh, plays at Barcelona, but it obviously didn't wasn't developed by uh, by Major League Soccer. No, look, these guys playing over there that's that's not a that's not a problem. I I, I totally get it. I understand it. They grow up. They grow up watching these teams. They grow up watching that culture. They grow up with aspirations and hopes and dreams of someday walking out in an, uh, for an EPL club and being in these these hallowed uh, types of stadiums. I, I I under under I understand that. But how do you change that? At some point, you have to say, no, we are going to make it worth your while. We are going to make you an offer you can't refuse. We are going to, guess what, overpay. Because from a financial perspective and a business perspective, it might not be prudent. Okay, But at some point, you, in order to shift the balance, You are going to have to go and do things that haven't been done to make that aspiration that is so powerful within uh, within this generation and previous generations to make them think twice. And by the way, if they do that, they will forever be remembered. Okay, so it's not only just appealing to their to their wallet, but they can fundamentally change the way that their country and their league is viewed, not just by, by domestically, by the rest of the world. But it is going to have to take, and I use this word, I'm going to use it, but sacrifice. And when I say sacrifice, sacrifice in not necessarily going to where your initial ambition and dream was, and looking at something in terms of leaving a legacy. Now, you will be compensated, because that's part of it. Because it doesn't matter if you're not able to compensate them and and provide uh, a whole lot of money for them to make this decision, then it's never going to happen. But if you are able to do that, then a generation can fundamentally change the way that MLS is, uh, is looked at. I think that that's, that's something worth talking about.
2: It's interesting, too, because in Brazil, they're also grappling with mm-hmm. this question. And, and Flamengo have been held up as the model for how a club should operate in this in this uh, environment. Um, they essentially view their academy as a money-making enterprise. They have no illusion that if they develop some great young Brazilian player, he's going to stick around long enough to really make an impact on the field. But they're able to turn around and sell their top prospects to Europe. They've been the great beneficiaries of Florentino Perez's bizarre Brazilian teenager fetish because they sold Vinicius right. Jr. to Real Madrid for 45 million euros, Heine to Real Madrid for 30 million euros, but also Lucas Paqueta, Ali Wagner's favorite player. Um, they sold it to AC Milan for 35 million euros. And, and listen, they also have a massive following and and lucrative sponsorship deal, so that helps. But uh, the money they made from transfers, uh, they've then targeted two types of players: uh, veterans who had spent many years in Europe and were looking to come back, like they just signed Davi Luiz, for example, and also these players that left for Europe as young starlets. It didn't work out, and rather than bounce around Europe, they, they've decided to come back home and start over again, like a Gabi goal. So the American equivalent of that would be, let's say, Tim Howard on the veteran side, and somebody like a Josh Sargent. Josh Sargent let, let's yeah. say. It doesn't work out at Norwich and either side oh, instead of bouncing around these Bremen-Norwich-type clubs, let me go back to MLS. I'm still young enough and sort of start over again. And so what would you think about that model for an MLS club where they develop great young talent, sell it off to Europe, and then use that money to target guys like a sergeant who went, it didn't quite work out, and might be looking to come back, and also these veterans later in their careers but who still have something to give who might be wanting to come home. For well, the there's
1: career. a couple uh, a of problems with that. And, and and this is, once again, I don't, I don't have all the answers. I know I'm just... I'm just complaining here. Uh, so when Josh Sargent does come back, while he is a name, it's, once again, it, it doesn't sell the tickets in the way that a player coming from Argentina does. And then is it is it just that final move and you're just doing it purely from competitive standpoint? Or is there a business part of it? Because, you know, a lot of these MLS teams are bringing players in with the hope of selling them on and, you know, their their value increasing. And I'm not saying that couldn't happen to, to Josh Sargent, but, the traditional way is to go get players from South America and and, and bring them in and then they uh, their value increases and then you uh, you sell them on. This is this is not going to be solved overnight. This is not going. You know, this has been a part of, of a problem not just for MLS. You look at those other those other leagues and there might have come a point where people kind of threw in the towel and said if you can't beat them, join them. And when I say join them, it, it, they can't beat them in that. The powers that be don't see a pathway to changing, fundamentally changing the way the world looks at Major League Soccer. And if you can't do that, rather than spin your wheels and in doing so waste money, let's just find a way from a business perspective to capitalize on some of that money uh, is out there. And if that's happened, once again, fine, then just tell us that this is as good as it gets. And if this is as good as it gets, and there's enough people that want to pay money for that, fine. But the people that are out there that say no, It can and should be better and are doing that compare and contrast with around the world. Don't don't be surprised when they say, no, I'm not going to partake. I'm not going to pay money um, and I'm going to complain because they have higher aspirations, maybe sometimes than the ownership and the leadership when it comes to, to Major League Soccer. All right. Uh, anything else uh, on that uh, particular topic? Because we wanted to do that, but I think there's a lot of uh, MLS stuff that we need to get to, actual stuff that's happening on the field.
2: Yeah, no, I'm happy to transition okay. to on-the-field stuff. What do you
1: want to talk about first?
2: Uh, well, San Jose, <laughs> uh, who feature uh, the hottest player in MLS in Chofis. It's funny because I was listening to a Football Picante podcast uh, and they did a segment on Chofis and his success in MLS and Chivas tried to bring him back. Should they have kept him? What does this all mean? And, you know, they were, Invariably, there's one guy there who has no respect for MLS and was saying this is a product of how weak the defenders are in the league and nobody should read much into this. Right. But this has made its way you know, across the border where they're discussing his form because he uh, once again had a goal and an assist. San Jose beat LAFC 2-0. Uh, LAFC still on the outside looking in in the playoff picture.
1: All right. So LAFC, um, there. I think regardless of what happens this year, there are going to be changes, changes on and off the field. Um, and we talked about that before. Uh, John Thorington, uh, who is you know the, the leader behind the scenes right now, we're actually going to get a real, I think, a real opportunity to judge his worth because I, I think inevitably that this team needs a a refreshing, and you know Bob Bradley's coming to the end of his contract. Uh, as you said, they are sitting right now out of the playoff spot in eighth place, still three points back. So things can happen. And there's this musical chairs thing that's going on as we get to the end of this season and we see everything ratcheted up. So they could they could squeak in. But as I said, regardless, this is not what LAFC has promised. And this, at least up till now, has to be considered a failure of a year. Uh Uh, for Bob Bradley and and company doesn't mean they're giving up. And it doesn't mean, like I said, they can't make a run. But there's out in the West, there's three teams sitting at 33 points. So it is going to be a scramble. And, you know, three of those uh, that are all three points behind Salt Lake at 36. So like I said, it's going to be a scramble to the end here. And there are going to be people on the outside looking in. And as we say each and every time, that is the that is the mark that separates the good, the bad, the success uh, and the failure. Do you think they make it ultimately?
2: LAFC? No.
1: No. No. It doesn't feel like it, right?
2: Uh, one team that we know will be in the playoffs is New England because they've already clinched Ooh. a playoff spot, and they are running away with the Supporter Shield race. Uh, they beat Orlando 2-1. to one. Uh, They are uh, a real threat here to, to break the MLS single-season points record, which was set by LAFC in 2019. Uh, you know, it's funny. I keep coming back to this. I can't tell you how many people – in American soccer circles have told me that Bruce Arena knows nothing about tactics, doesn't even know how to run a practice, And yet, I look at this man's resume, the success he's had. I know he has that one big blemish, the fact that he didn't qualify the U.S. for World Cup. But he also took the U.S. to a World Cup quarterfinal in 2002. And he's won five MLS Cups, success at D.C., success with the Galaxy. He's now took over a New England team that was a mess. And in a short period of time, has built this historically great team that might break the points record. Uh, You can go all the way back to success in college soccer with Virginia. So... I mean, he's he's got something going for him. He can't be this rube that people act like he is. No,
1: he's definitely not a rube. (laughs) As a matter of fact, um, I think that he has, more so than anybody, nobody has ever done it, but I think that Bruce Arena has gotten closer than anybody ever has to cracking the nut that is soccer. Okay, And and what I mean is, uh, he absolutely understands the X's and O's and the tactics of the game. But I think what he has been really, really good at, even from an early age, is to be able to cull all of this information that's out there and then very, very quickly and efficiently sort through uh, and discard all the crap that's out there. And so what you have is the absolute antithesis of a Pep Guardiola, not because either one doesn't understand where the other is coming from. But because Bruce Arena has, as I said, in a ruthless efficiency, recognized exactly what he needs to function as a coach and what his teams need to concentrate on in order to be successful and discarded all of that other clutter. And so that clarity uh, that is, yes, has yes, has come with time. But I think it I think he started seeing it at an early age as opposed to a pep who understands that he can only function where he is constantly going over every scenario and variable out there in order to get to that meat. They've both been able to get to meat. Maybe it's different meat, but ultimately it's been very, very successful uh, meat in a very different way. I do think that Bruce Arena recognizes, and it's, it's, it's a little, it's a little old man and grumpy old man here, but he recognizes that a lot of the stuff that's talked about when it comes to our game is bullshit, okay? A lot of it is in an effort to make sense of a game that at its core doesn't make sense. And control, controllables, all that kind of stuff that, that happens. I think he also knows which buttons to push. And so from a man management type a perspective which has nothing to do with X's and O's ultimately I think he understands what to say to a player when to say something to a player how to say something to a player that will impact that player on the field so I mean that's that's a a ringing endorsement of of Bruce Serena but it That's the glimpse that I have had of him over the years.
2: And we know he's not a fan of analytics. He made that clear recently, although I did find it funny. It was a question about (laughs) shots on goal that prompted a rant about analytics. Shots is hardly an analytics stat.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he was really getting into the weeds there with the uh, shots on goal uh, talk out there. Okay, Bruce. Uh, I mean, you know, he, he... This is a game where you can not have the ball the entire game and win one nothing. So... So he I think he understands that. And there is this pressure and this quest out there to figure it out through numbers, through science, through math, through whatever. Um, And I think he's just come to the realization that you can do all the arithmetic and and, uh, analysis that you want, but you're not going to be any closer to cracking it than I am.
2: I mentioned they beat Orlando. Uh, Two teams that have spent most of this season near the top of their respective conferences but are now struggling to the point where they need to start worrying about making the playoffs are Orlando City in the East and the Galaxy in the West. Orlando have lost four straight. They've they've tumbled down the standings. They're only a couple of points above the playoff line. Uh, The Galaxy, who lost to Austin, uh, this weekend, they're winless in seven. They're five points up on the playoff line, so they're probably still okay. But, you know, some of those teams chasing them, like LAFC, you know, they have some big games coming up, like El Trafico. So, depending on how those go, the Galaxy could find themselves in that muck fighting for that final playoff spot.
1: They could. Um, and when we talk about MLS playoffs, it's always where, you know, who who's this team that's just going to squeak in and figure out a way to do th- things? And teams like DC, which we haven't really talked about, but they've had a better year and they get to the playoffs and then kind of find this, this new gear. And, and the reason why I mentioned that is that, and I, we've talked about this before, seven of the 25 Supporters Shield winners have actually been able to parlay that into an MLS Cup. 28% uh, when it really comes down to it in terms of the history. So it's not a great record when you have success in the regular season in terms of the supporter Shield of then going on to an MLS Cup. New England, I, I think a lot of, of, of people have just said, just give it to them now so we don't have to worry about it. It is theirs. They're at 62 points. The next closest is Nashville at 45 in terms of their uh, in terms of their division. And it's 48 in the other division, leading the other division. So New England has run away. Congratulations, by the way. They already qualified for the playoffs, the first team to do so sitting at 60 points. They're going to go for that, you know, that potential um uh most points in a in a year but it's such a weird comparison and contrast with all the different variables that have happened in the past that and bruce arena will be the first person to tell you that it's about winning mls cup it'll be interesting if and when they win supporters shield his first take of how important it actually is and what value we should ascribe to it the
2: interesting thing for me is seattle won away to sporting kc uh this week in a game we did they're now on top of the western conference and uh, you, we interviewed Brian Schmetzer and you straight up asked him about Jordan Morris mm-hmm. and Nico Lodero. And he said, I expect both those guys to be back for the playoffs. So depending on how they look, they, he's hoping to get them back a couple of games before the end of the regular season to shake off the rust. Let's say those guys are, seems like they're firing all cylinders going to the playoffs. Could you see a scenario here where New England run away with the supporters shield? They smash the points record and yet Seattle getting those two guys back still kind of feel like the favorites to win it all going to the playoffs.
1: Well, For two reasons. One, Seattle, even without those guys, is already very, very good. They play in the West, which I think is a stronger conference. Um, And you add those things and just history, right? I mean, this has, this screams New England out in the first round of the playoffs. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and, and New England probably will tell you the same thing. I know they feel confident and, and, uh, and comfortable, but it is that reset that happens that a lot of people like and a lot of people don't because it tends to just throw out what you have done in the regular season. I think what it does is separate the greats from the goods those that are able to parlay it, those that are able to continue in a very different form uh, into the playoffs and continue with the success. Um, I think they should be singled out. So we'll see if New England is one of those teams and becomes the eighth team to possibly win. Uh, well, not possibly, well, we already won Supporters' Shield, but to win Supporters' Shield and then uh, to win MLS Cup. Any other games you want to uh, focus on or stories here?
2: Uh, well, last thing MLS wise, because I do want to transition to Leagues Cup. Yep. Uh, Portland is a team that's coming on. Uh, they dropped six in cool. RSL. Uh, they're up to fourth in, in the West, I believe. So you're, you're talking about a team that might be getting hot at the right time going into the playoffs. The Timbers are somebody that I'm looking at.
1: And you know, RSL is is no slouch of a team, and they just put the oh my goodness, they were they were running out of log slices uh, up there, slabs up there to uh, to give out. Everybody, the Chara brothers were. Running riot, so that was uh, that was a hell of a performance. Giovanni Savarese loved every minute of it. So yeah, I mean, I I, I, I'm I'm not saying that this was you know a a complete um, anomaly, but you know Portland's looking looking better. MLS Cup, I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure. Uh, Anything else uh, from a uh, MLS perspective uh, with regards to the season and the standings?
2: No, I'm ready to okay. transition to League's Cup. All
1: right, listen. I mean, this was the big news this this past week. Uh, do you want to give a, a synopsis of uh, of what happened to our, uh, well, our do you want to, out there?
2: There's big news regarding the future of this competition. You want to wrap up the current edition. Okay,
1: yeah, uh, you go ahead. Go ahead. Dude. Uh,
2: so Seattle fell to Leon 3-2 uh, to two in the final uh, in Vegas, a game. They, they led in the second half, had chances to build on their lead, hit the post when they were winning 1-0. And, and look, I've said this before. Uh, there's a difference between being... Better than somebody and being in a, on a different level than somebody. And not too long ago, when you watched Liga MX teams play against MLS teams, you felt like Liga MX was on a different level. That is not the case anymore. I know there are some Mexican pundits that still try to act like that—that that is the case—but it's not. Uh, if you've watched these these big finals between the two leagues the last few years. You're now watching teams that are on the same level. The Liga MX sides are just a little bit better and just have a knack for winning these games. Uh, You saw it in the 2018 CCL final when uh, Chivas uh, beat Toronto on penalties. 2020 CCL final where LAFC were up uh, on Tigres with 15 minutes left and had outplayed them up to that point. And then Tigres scored two goals at the end and win. And you saw it again here. I mean, the Sounders could have easily won this game. They didn't. So bragging rights again go to Liga MX. But... But man, MLS, they're just knocking on the door in these finals. They just can't get over that hump.
1: They, they, I mean, they just kind of need to check that box that, we, that we've talked about. But to your point, I mean, these games are good. These games are competitive. And there's a reason why the uh, continued partnership that we're about to talk about here is is—is uh, happening. Uh, to your point, I mean, Seattle very, very... Seattle had that game. And they they let it go. And credit to Leon for, uh, for figuring it out. So there's just... There's just that last little bit, which is oftentimes the hardest bit. And yet it's still being done. And I'll, I'll, I'll touch on this in a, in a little bit here. It's still being done with one foot behind their back. And yet they're still consistently at least being competitive.
2: But so a lot of people question the, the significance of this League's Cup. But we now understand that this was all part of a grander plan to, to, to Expand this competition and make it more significant. So yeah, uh, Konga announced that beginning in 2023, every MLS and League MX club is going to compete in the League's Cup. It's going to be this massive World Cup style tournament and that both leagues are going to stop for a month to, to allow for this tournament to happen. And the first, second, and third place teams in it will then uh, clinch berths to the uh, next CONCACAF Champions League, which that tournament is being expanded. It's going to go up to 27 clubs and have an, an extra round. So there's going to be a round one before you get to the round 16, quarterfinal, semifinal, etc. Uh So, yeah, I mean, uh, big news involving beginning in 2023, the whole restructuring here of, of the calendar and this whole dynamic. So uh, what were your initial impressions when you, when you All started? All right,
1: so this is big news. I mean, this is a fundamental change. Um And it's big and bold. And I think it's great. Uh, I'm really excited about it. And as we say each and every time, um, you know, the the devil's in the details, but at least on the surface, this looks like it could be something very, very special, not just from a competitive standpoint, but also from a business standpoint. And I'll get into that uh, in a second. We've talked about the partnership and the connection between Liga MX and MLS, and we've already seen it over the last couple of years and certainly this this year um, with the uh, the MLS All-Star Game and everything. We know that um, MLS, their problem isn't that there aren't soccer fans in the US, it's that there's not enough MLS fans in the US. This is an effort to tap into uh, both the existing success, but also the potential uh, for growth and success when it comes to League MX teams and the fan base that they uh, that they have here. On the other side, from a League MX perspective, it's an opportunity to tap in to the structure, to the infrastructure, uh, to the history, to the business acumen of Major League Soccer, because as as popular and as successful as Liga, Liga MX has been, um, it is not a sound business structure. And I think that they recognize that. And so they each have something that the other kind of want to tap into. And I think that this is a continue a continuation of that. I also don't think that this is the end. I think that this even, even gets bigger and more robust, especially as we get closer to 20, uh, uh, 2026. Um, it is defined in that there is that month now. Everybody is stopping play. And I think that that is crucial. You know, with a lot of these tournaments, you know, it starts at one point of the year and it finishes at a completely different point of year. And there's it's it's separated by league play and all this kind of stuff. And by the time you get to some of these games, you've forgotten what the actual tournament is and who's playing what and all that kind of stuff. And so this, the clarity, you know, to Arsene Wenger, we talked about, uh, you know, his desire for clarity and simplicity. Well, this is very, very clear and simple. Everybody stops. Everybody plays in this tournament. It's going to end up being... You know, 48 to 50 teams, whatever it ends up being, could be like the uh, 26 World Cup groups of three, possibly could be groups of five. But whatever it ends up being, it's going to be in that World Cup style thing. It's going to be in that... um March Madness type of thing where everybody is drawn to a specific time and everybody knows it's happening. I think that is going to be great from a uh, spectator perspective. Um, The business perspective, don't think for a second that this wasn't done uh, in order to begin in 2023 with an eye to the broadcast deal that's coming. And this is very, very valuable going forward for Major League Soccer and for Liga MX, especially when it comes to their broadcast rights. You could even argue that's possibly the most uh, valuable thing uh, going forward. So that will be interesting to see how it's sold, how it's bundled and how it affects that ultimate price when MLS uh, sells their their broadcast rights here. Uh, It's already being negotiated right now, but it will happen starting in 2023. It also brings up a point the United States Soccer Federation and SUM, Soccer United Marketing, that partnership that has been in place for so many years, and now they have separated out. Uh, if you're U.S. Soccer right now, you're not going to be a part of that anymore um, because you're no longer part of that some uh, some connection. And so this is incredible value. The fact that this has gotten the approval and the seal of CONCACAF and Victor Montaliani um, That is important, okay? because they recognize that more League MX teams and Major League Soccer teams, which is what this is going to lead to in CONCACAF Champions League, is going to be better CONCACAF Champions League, which is where uh, CONCACAF uh, comes in. So I just think that this is uh, this is interesting. I will say this. The incentive and we've talked a lot about incentive already for these players and for these teams in that month to do well i mean what's stopping peter vermes to say look i get paid on doing well in in major league soccer i'm just going to play a bunch of young players they have to have a prize and, and a hefty prize and even then it's probably not going to be what it should be so there has to be a money incentive the fact that everybody's stopping stopping league play i think lends itself to everybody concentrating on that but again that's just my fear that There has to be a mandate from above. And when I say above, from Commissioner Garber to all the owners that, hey, we are treating this seriously and your teams better treat this this seriously. And it has been shaded towards MLS. You're you're playing all your games in the the United States uh, and Canada. It's in that month. Everybody's stopping. Everybody's stopping play. So there really is no excuse when it comes to taking it seriously and uh, putting on a good show. We'll just see how much that show ultimately is going to be valued when it comes to a broadcast uh, perspective.
2: Well, I, I think Don Garber is on pretty safe ground here because one thing I've learned is uh, American soccer fans love tournaments. Uh, the very fact that MLS yeah. has playoffs, I know that upsets a lot of purists in this country who would like to see the team with the most points. Uh, win the title. Uh, But I think MLS is actually catering to what most of the American public prefers, which is playoffs. Everybody loved the MLS's back tournament and wanted that to become an annual thing. It probably would have, if not for the fact that they were cooking up this already. Uh, Americans generally seem to prefer international soccer to club soccer because it's more tournament driven. And they seem to like this idea. So I don't think there's any chance of this being unpopular in the United States. One People are going to love this once it happens. I, I do wonder a little bit about from the <laughs> Liga MX perspective, uh, you know, they competed in the Libertadores from 98 to 2016 and then when the Libertadores restructured their calendar, Liga MX wasn't thrilled with how they did it and so they pulled out. But there's been a lot of talk lately about them getting back into that competition. There's a sense in Mexico that the teams are only going to improve by competing against South American opposition, that playing against CONCACAF isn't really helping them at this point. I wonder what this does to that. I mean, I I don't know how they could play in this and play in the Libertadores as well, but maybe they could make it work. So from the Liga MX side, there's there's that question over it.
1: And and it is, you know, I mentioned Arsene Wenger, and one of the things that we talked about on the previous pod with his proposal about how the calendar w- looks is um, that five-week, everybody qualifies within a certain five-week period. So there might be a lot of these types of five-week things in, uh, in seasons going forward. I don't know how that all is going to play.
2: I don't love the stopping the leagues for a month. Maybe when when it happens, it's something that won't strike me as, I'll get used to it and it won't feel as weird, but just sort of conceptually thinking about it, I don't know, to stop a season in the middle for a month to go off, play another If you're going to make it
1: a priority, then you got to kind of do that. And everybody can focus on that and there's nothing d- d- distracting. And they did say that you're going to still stick with 34-game schedules, so they're going fi- to have to find a place to put all of those games, too, going forward, so look for some Wednesday night games. To
2: that point, though, do you think there's a chance... That this is so successful that it actually detracts from the CONCACAF Champions League and that isn't looked upon so much anymore as the holy grail for an MLS team to win that you could have an MLS team win the league's cup and then somebody else win the CCL and try to argue. Actually, the League's Cup is, is a more impressive trophy to win. That's Concacaf. I mean, we could problem. have that. <laughs>
1: That's Konka-Ka's problem. No, honestly, if uh-huh. if if you're if you're hell bent on having Concacaf Champions League and making it something, then you got to figure out a way to make it relevant. This is a this is a situation where League MX and MLS, and yes, with the blessing of Concacaf, because they're going to get more of those teams that ultimately drive Concacaf Champions League, have said we're going to make this special and we're going to do the things to make it a priority. And whether it's stock dropping down uh, for those five weeks uh, or putting huge prize money on it, which they definitely should do. That's that's what you do to create value um, in any type of situation.
2: It's interesting. The announcement of all this was made in conjunction with CONCACAF. And in the press release, there were quotes from Victor Montagliani. But you're sort of framing this as something that MLS and MX cooked up sort of separate of CONCACAF. And CONCACAF are just sort of Trying to react to it in a way is that, well, I think that there's
1: happens? a. I think there is a good re- working relationship with uh, Victor Montaliani, the head of uh, CONCACAF, and you know, unlike for example the Super League type of thing, you got to get buy-in, and you and you would ha- you would have had to go to CONCACAF and say, "This is what we're doing, okay? We want your blessing, and this is why we think you should give us your blessing because this helps you uh, ultimately." And so I think that's what happened. That's why this is a kumbaya type of uh, type of moment. But, you know, CONCACAF now has to go back and look at how they are programming, look at how they are promoting uh, their, you know, uh, tournaments and their entities that they have right now and do what's best for that business. Anything else, Masi? That's it. It, it will be interesting. And, and as I said, um, this this certainly could have happened next year if they had wanted to, but you want it as part of the broadcast package that starts in 2023. And that's why this is starting in 2023. And I, for one, uh, I'm excited, I am excited. I am not even cautiously optimistic, I am optimistic. All right, Masi, uh, we're gonna take a real quick break. When we come back, we'll take a trip around Europe. Don't go anywhere.
0: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever.
1: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply.
0: Bank of America NA, member FDIC. All
1: right, we're back. Time for our European roundup. Let's start over there in, uh, in England. We, uh, we talked last week about uh, the juggernaut uh, that was Chelsea and how great <laughs> they are. And it's not like they went out and laid an egg. I think really what happened is Manchester City finally showed their true colors. And Tuchel has kind of been in uh, Pep's mind uh, in terms of the tactics and obviously the results uh, of late. Uh, so finally, uh, Pep got one uh, over um, where they went to uh, Chelsea and got a one nothing win. Yeah,
2: it's interesting. Uh, this was obviously a rematch of the Champions League final. When you face Manchester City you accept the fact that they're going to have more possession but in the Champions League final it wasn't as pronounced uh Chelsea uh it was a back and forth game where Chelsea created some good chances too and when they got the goal late in the first half with Kai Havertz it didn't feel against the run of play obviously in the second half when they were leading they packed it in more but in this game I mean my god from kickoff this was an offense to defense drill for Manchester City Chelsea just sat back completely Uh, I was actually surprised to the degree that they. that Manchester City dominated this game. I think you still saw in the first half uh, some of the potential pitfalls of playing without a center forward. Manchester City had a lot of possession the first half. They didn't create a lot of clear chances. There were a couple of times where Gabriel Jesus played a, a teasing cross from that right side and there was nobody in
1: the box to go But do you feel that this is going to change or have they se- settled in that this is their lot, this is uh, yeah, what they're going unless, to do? I mean. this, unless this-
2: they sign somebody in January. I mean, Ferran Torres is the one guy on the roster... If, if we're accepting that Gabriel Jesus is now a right winger, then he's the only other guy on the roster that had some center forwardish qualities. Uh, and Pep in this game started Phil Foden as a false nine. Uh, but so they, they get the goal early in the second half on that Jesus deflected shot. Um, and then, you know, Chelsea are forced to go forward. And ironically, what that did was actually created more space for Manchester City. And then they started having a bunch of clear chances. They really should have won that game two or three nil. Uh, Mendy denied Grealish a couple of times. Uh, Jesus had that one play where Thiago Silva cleared it off the line. But so, yeah, I mean, overall, though, Manchester City, the much, much better team, as I said, should have won this game comfortably. And after all the struggles they had against Chelsea late last season, uh, including the Champions League final, obviously, this felt good for them. This was a nice sort of flex the muscles kind of win for them to go in there and beat them the way they did.
1: All right. (laughs) All right. Well, I'll 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 I'll, I'll table the uh, the discussion. Um, how is it possible that arguably the greatest team in the world doesn't have a forward? Doesn't have a striker? How is that possible? Because it's not a question of money. It's not a question of prestige. And yet they can't figure out a way to to get somebody up there. Well, this actually segues. Let's talk
2: about Arsenal Tottenham next. I know chronologically, Manchester be right, Villa, but so Arsenal uh, really impressive performance for them. The first half was phenomenal. They jump out to a, a three nil halftime lead Uh, Spurs pulled one back in the second half but Arsenal more or less cruised to a 3-1 victory in the North London Derby Uh, but so impressive result for them and you know after a disastrous start to the season they might be kind of Putting things back together there, I think getting Gabriel at the back and Thomas Partey in the midfield in that lineup makes a big difference. They're a lot more solid when those two players are, and they have some wonderful young players in Saka and Smith Rowe. And, um, but uh, so Arsenal's
1: good now, right? Is what you're telling (laughs) me? Okay, not
2: as bad. (laughs) Arteta
1: not out. hashtag Arteta not out. Uh,
2: Arteta not out. Uh, but on the Tottenham side, Harry Kane again uh, did not score. He has zero goals in five. Uh, Premier League games this season and everybody's sort of putting two and two together and, and thinking that his head's not there because he wanted to go to Manchester City. So to go back to your previous question, that was the issue. City put all their eggs in the cane basket. They thought for sure they were going to get him. They didn't. And so Pep didn't want to just settle for a consolation prize. It, it was a bit petulant on his part. Like, I want this guy and if I can't get him, then I don't want anybody. How does that manifest?
1: Though? <laughs> I, I'm, always, uh, I'm always curious. I mean, how does that manifest? I mean, is he, is he moping around? I mean, when he gets on the field, is he... Is he literally not making a run that he uh, would have yeah. done, you know, a couple months ago? I mean, what? What? It's interesting because we had a similar scenario in the NFL where
2: Aaron Rodgers uh, wanted to get traded. The Packers refused to trade him, and so he begrudgingly had to go back there this season. Week one was a disaster. They got they got annihilated. He was awful, and there were all these takes that well, you know, perhaps they should have gotten rid of him because keeping a disgruntled Aaron Rodgers around isn't going to do any good for anybody well lo and behold that lasted all of one week because he's come back and had right. two masterpieces including last night phenomenal game i don't know if you watched it where i did uh they beat the 49ers uh, i'd say i mean uh, this is a weird digression here but watching cade mcnamara who is the michigan quarterback throw the ball on saturday and then watching aaron Rodgers the next day it's like watching a right. different sport I, just, his hair I mean, is
1: flowing hair and all I'm that not kind crazy of about stuff. the hair you know get not? a haircut my wife isn't either
2: um but uh nevertheless so so Spurs fans are act, are hoping that this is the same thing, that Kane will eventually snap out of it. He's too good, and, and he'll get back to scoring goals again. I mean, He's a professional. I, 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 but he the, is a
1: professional. The, plus, I mean, I, I think he has an affinity to this club that he has played for that I, I just... I and Look, I'm not saying that a disgruntled employee isn't bad. I'm not saying that somebody who it can't be down in the dumps and can't, somebody can't be moping around, and that can't adversely affect others. But in that moment... I I just don't know what he is doing or not doing on the field because of that, when, when that whistle blows.
2: No, it's 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 a great question. I'm trying to sort of make sense out of it too. But make no mistake, he wanted to go to Manchester yes. City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I don't buy this Canard. He he put out a statement that he was so moved by the support of Tottenham fans that that convinced him that that's the place for him to be. No, he just didn't have the stomach to force a move. Once Daniel Levy swatted away that notion of a gentleman's agreement, and it was going to have to get messy, where he was going to have to refuse to train and right. do Coutinho Liverpool type stuff. He didn't of want stuff, to get down and dirty. He, he's yeah. too he's a yeah. nice guy, and he didn't want to go there. But no, he wants to be at City right now. He is miserable that he has to. Spend another season slumming it with Tottenham, uh, but so they, they lose to uh, Arsenal, uh, and then the other big game in England, uh, Manchester, City lost at home to. Aston Villa, or Ashton Villa, if you go by Luis Aguilar's uh, rundown. Um, we talked about how when United beat West Ham, uh, West Ham missed the penalty kick at the end. That whole crazy scenario with yep. Mark Noble. Well, uh, shoot was on the other foot uh, with this game because Bruno Fernandez skyed a kick at the end. It 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 is interesting that neither Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo are the penalty kick takers for their respective teams right now. Uh, and listen, Neymar and Bruno Fernandez both have fantastic scoring records, and there was no reason for them to. Uh, relinquish those duties and and Neymar I think has enough clout that he'll hold on to that but I do wonder in this scenario if Bruno Fernandes misses another one in a big spot are people going to be looking at Cristiano Ronaldo and saying wait a minute you have Ronaldo on on the team why isn't he taking it the most important
1: it is uh, weird I mean so Yeah, I mean, this this is a great coaching type of question and, and, you know, one that you would ask Bruce Serena. It doesn't necessarily have to do with X's and O's. I mean, you mentioned the record that they have, but, you know, this larger-than-life personality comes in, and this isn't about, he doesn't have to run for a penalty, right? He's just putting it in, and we've seen him do it at the, on the biggest stage time and time again, but I, I think it, you know, and it only takes plenty of uh, plenty of heat and continued. As we said before, I don't think he can't do. I don't think he can do anything uh, right ultimately. And people are people are gonna crap on him. But but this one, yeah. I mean, I think if he misses another one, yes, it would be Ronaldo. But yeah, it's tempting. Just it would have been tempting just to, from the start to do it. Just to say, yeah, hey, Cristiano, you're here. There's a reason why you're here, and you're taking our penalties.
2: Speaking of Luis Aguilar, mm-hmm. our intrepid producer, he seems obsessed with this James Rodriguez story. He was trying to make it an Ask Alexi. You swatted that away, but he's still jammed it in, in the rundown here. The fact that Everton have sold James Rodriguez to a Qatari side I'm not even What's the to deal with
1: James Rodriguez? I mean, when when all is said and done, when it's all written, I mean, what what is his story, his legacy going to be, other than a great World Cup? And believe me, I I know firsthand <laughs> that that can be your story for life. That's okay too. But is that ultimately what it's going, what it's going to be?
2: I just think ultimately he's he's a luxury player who's not. Good enough for a big club to to build around. You essentially have to build your team around him because he doesn't do any running otherwise. He's inconsistent. He's injury prone. So, uh, look, he's got a magical left foot. I mean, he pings some of the most beautiful passes you'll ever see, but it just, over the course of a season, it's just not enough to justify. And so uh, all managers end up coming to that conclusion. And so hey, I did read somewhere that there's a clause in this contract that if he does well, PSG, PSG. can sign him for free. Boy, he's going to have to play really <laughs> well. <laughs>
1: Uh, and then, uh, should we finish it off here with a feel-good story here for, with Raúl Jiménez? I mean, yes. uh, we know the uh, the L Tree striker. Um, you know, uh, I mean, there was a, there was a point where you know he had his injury and cracked his uh, his skull and there was even a question as to whether he was going to get back and playing well not only is he back playing but he scored his first goal back so congratulations to him uh, good news for him good news for uh for el tree maybe bad news for for the u.s but i think we can look past that uh, in terms of um how good it is to see him back on the field to see him healthy and ultimately from a goal scoring perspective to see him scoring
2: absolutely i second all that i think you know we're Spinning ahead to Mexico, uh, we we talked about who the U.S. didn't have on the field in that Gold Cup final. Keep in mind, Mexico didn't have Raúl Jiménez or Irving Lozano, so yep, you know there, there's an injection of talent there coming in that attack, and, and sometime in the coming months when those guys are completely healthy. December,
1: you know, the first uh, the first U.S. Mexico game is in the not this coming window, but the following window. So oh. be ready for that.
2: Uh, should we transition to Spain? Sure uh barcelona beat levante uh three 0 at home uh first off excellent performance by Sergio des which you contrast with his struggles at, with the national team it's led many folks on twitter like our good friend grant tuberville to conclude that that shows that greg berhalter is 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 not a good coach what say you
1: <laughs> well it's it's i mean make the t-shirts uh form is fallacy okay so if you know the, the, the question of Serginho des talent has has never been a question. OK, everybody recognizes that he's very talented. The question and the context in which we discuss Sergio Dest is relative to the U.S. men's national team. And so if you are starring and doing great things with Barcelona in that type of circumstances, if you can't translate at least some of it uh, to a consistency with the U.S. national team, then from a U.S. men's national team perspective, who the hell cares what you're doing at Barcelona? Who hell cares that you're playing at Barcelona? I don't care about your resume if you can't perform when you come to the national team. And once again, I'm not asking you to be the exact same player because it is different circumstances and you are surrounded by different players, but you still need to be a star. You still need to make a, a, an impact. When Alfonso Davies goes to, to Canada, he is still oftentimes the best player on the field without a doubt. And he makes an impact on a continual basis, even though it can be argued and it should be argued that it is a step down. Down, maybe even multiple steps down from when he plays with, uh, with Bayern Munich. So I'm happy that Sergino Dest played well. I'm happy that he won. But from a U.S. men's national team perspective, show that kind of impact on a consistent basis with the national team. If you can only function, once again, in the ideal, that's fine. We'll call you when, when we've qualified for a World Cup and therefore the ideal uh, happens. But even that, that's a that's a dangerous precedent and that's a dangerous dynamic to have.
2: On top of all the other problems that Barcelona have had for the past year or so, they've also been dealing with this Ansu Fati situation. He is a kid that broke into the first team as a teenager, flashed real superstar Mm -hmm. potential, uh, already scored for Spain, in fact, uh, and then had a serious knee injury. They couldn't get it right. He had several surgeries, uh, was out forever, finally came back uh, this weekend, first appearance in more than 10 months. Uh, he comes on with nine minutes left in the game and scores a, a beautiful goal. Uh, and it's funny, as badly as that club has been mismanaged and and amidst all the justifiable doom and gloom, they do have two of the best teenagers in world football and Ansu Fati and Pedri, two players that they could potentially build around in the coming years if they can keep them healthy. So uh, th- this was actually a rare weekend of some positivity in Barcelona circles with Ansu Fati getting back on the field and scoring that goal. That yeah, I
1: mean, nice that season. goal. I mean, you saw the outpouring again You know, in a different way than, than Raul Jiménez, but still for he's back and the happiness, I think the general happiness for him being back given his injury problems and what potentially he could be.
2: I'm told Derek Ray had a great call on that goal. I was watching a Premier League game so I... I <laughs> um, uh, Atletico Madrid lost to Alaves uh, from an American perspective. Matt Miazga uh, played very well on that Alaves back line so that was nice to see.
1: Well, that's that's good. You know, we want that to happen. We'll see if he can... Well, first off, get a call back to the national team and... If he can translate some of that to the national team, that'd be good. And How, then, how's Stu Holden's uh, Mallorca doing? Still sitting middle, middle there. 12th place, it looks yeah. like here. Okay. All right. That's uh, that's good. Um, what else? And then the
2: last thing in Spain is Real Madrid held 0-0 by Villarreal. Um, in uh, Germany, uh, uh, Borussia Dortmund minus Erlen Haaland sat out this game with a muscle injury, and you saw his importance uh uh, without Holland, they lose one nil to Gladbach. Marco Rosa following to following to his former club. Uh, but uh, good news from an American perspective: uh, Leipzig took out their frustrations on Hertha Berlin, six nil win. And Kunku with a couple of goals. He's off to a terrific start this season. But uh, for Jesse Marsh, this was uh, just needed. what the doctor needed. Was,
1: yeah? Definitely needed. I mean, there, there 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 is going to come some more important games going forward. So now they're sitting. Let's see here. Uh, they're sitting in tenth. So. Takes a little pressure off, but they they still got to go on a, a little bit of run here. But uh, congratulations to Jesse on a big win.
2: Uh, Bayern, I, I mean, I don't know what is. They talking. won. I, mean, <laughs> they, I, I heard <laughs> they won. More there is to say about them. So we'll, we'll transition to Italy. Uh, we had the Rome Derby. Uh, let me just say, by the way, Serie A, which has been like low key the most entertaining league in Europe for the past couple of years, and it's off to another amazing start. Uh, this season. Every every time you look up, it's 2-2, two, 3-2. Two, two. We had some exciting games this weekend. Lazio beat Roma in the derby 3-2. Uh, one of the Lazio goals was scored by Pedro, Remember, former Barcelona. He played at Roma and then this season moved to Lazio. So it was kind of an interesting dynamic there. Another of Lazio's goals was scored by a Brazilian player. I love Felipe Anderson. I know he's had a nightmarish last couple of years with West Ham and Porto, but uh, I will always uh, defend that guy. He's inconsistent, but on his day, he might be my second favorite Brazilian player to watch after Neymar. Um, but uh, on the losing side was Jose Mourinho, who then had a huge rant afterwards about the officials. And and so Mourinho is sort of, you know, up, up to his old antics there. what he does. <laughs> That's what he does. That's what he does. Um,
1: are you yeah. buying Napoli? Uh,
2: yes. Uh, Luciano Spalletti doing a terrific job there. They beat Cagliari 2-0. Uh, so six wins out of six for them. They, they are on top of the table. I, I absolutely am buying them. I think they're a very good team. uh, uh I got to say, uh, AC Milan are second right now, two points back of Napoli. I know their manager Stefano Pioli became a source of ridicule this week with his comments about backcourt violations and soccer should have a rule like basketball. Well, it's
1: (laughs) relative ridicule. Because could you imagine if I had said that or an American had said that? If you had said that or an American. Right, or an
2: American. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, I mean – Keith Costigan called him an idiot on Twitter. Uh, it's a uh, XMFC host, Keith Costigan, chiming in on that. That's but, not nice. That's yeah, not well, nice. Well, Keith, we you know he's that type of. guy. I know he wasn't. Um,
1: he wasn't happy about uh, last week's. But, but
2: I will say that those comments aside, he might be the most underrated uh, manager in Europe right now. Because I'm sorry, I know people talk about how much progress AC Milan has made. I still look at that lineup on paper, and it's not that impressive. And yet they had the best record in Serie after the restart from the pandemic break. Then they sort of validated. That with by finishing uh is it second or third last season? I have to double check that. Uh, and they're off to a great start this season. They're they're in second place, and they gave Liverpool all they could handle in that Champions League game at, at Anfield. So he does a phenomenal job there with not that great a talent. I don't think so. uh So credit to Stefano Pioli. And then Juventus are crawling back ninth, into, right? Yeah, okay. they, two they, in a row. Well, they pick good. up a three-two win over Sampdoria. They're they're at least in the top half of the table. So. Another uh, thrilling game, three to two, as I said. So, uh, so yeah, Juventus uh, okay. working their way back. Uh, Milan finished second last season, right? 18-11. Yeah, there you go. Luis Aguilar making a contribution.
1: Who's who, uh, Pioli? Uh, is that who you were extolling the virtues? Yes, into? yes, the uh, backcourt violation guy. Better Pioli or Bruce Arena? Better coach. If you had to start a team right now, who would you pick?
2: Uh, I'd go Stefan Pioli by the mere fact he's European. I know you, you well, like that okay, logic. okay, that
1: makes complete sense. Um, <laughs> Okay. Uh, anything else, Masi. Uh
2: And then last, last thing, Ligue 1. This will help us transition right into the Champions League. Uh, PSG beat Montpellier 2-0. Um, they were winning 1-0 late, and, and Kylian Mbappe got substituted. They made a double sub. They brought on uh, Icardi and Draxler took out Mbappe and Di Maria. Julian Draxler, who... Is still on this team, which is amazing to me, and in such a shame. We talk about super clubs hoarding players. Uh, he, he could be like a, a starter on most Bundesliga clubs and still be playing regularly somewhere in Europe. He's not that old, uh, but he's on the bench at PSG. He gets in every now and then. He came on very late in this game, and as soon as he stepped on the field, Neymar played a nice pass from. He scored to make it two 0 PSG, and the the cameras caught Kylian Mbappe on the bench. He was talking to Idrissa Gay and sort of frustratingly saying like oh he never passes like that to me. <laughs> and so now that's turned into a whole Neymar and Mbappe thing. You know, PSG have this kind of FC Hollywood quality yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. This, this season. I love one. it. And, I love and it. The French media is examining that relationship. They feel like they used to be good friends, but now PSG have added uh, too many South American players and the Brazilian and Argentine players have formed the clique and Mbappe feels kind of left out and doesn't socialize with those guys. And so it, it's made it somewhat awkward dynamic between him and Neymar. Um, and so who the heck knows there? But Hey,
1: you created the situation, you know, fix it.
2: But this all comes Deal with it this all comes on the eve of we can transition to the Champions League match day two. Uh, PSG, they are involved in the marquee game of this week. Uh, They host Manchester City in a rematch of the Champions League semifinals last season, which City knocked them out. Now, Messi
1: Uh, uh, took a knock over the weekend, right? Well,
2: Uh, well, no, what happened was the game where he got subbed out where everybody thought it was this huge drama that Pochettino took him out. Well, they announced right afterwards that he had a knee injury and he missed a subsequent two games. So that kind of took some of the heat off Pochettino because, you know, I don't know if he knew at the moment or not if Messi had an injury. But I mean, he did. So he, well, even if he
1: didn't, he 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 <laughs> sensed that there was an injury coming.
2: So now the question is, uh, will he uh, play in this game? Uh, Luis Aguilar sent us a, a very outdated yeah, article. He's playing. Uh, he, he the latest reading the French media today. He has been called up. He's in the squad. Yeah. It's just a question of whether he's going to start or come off the bench. Uh, they also get Marco Veratti back for this game. This could go one of two ways. PSG have not looked good this season. I know they're perfect in league on, but that's more a reflection of the league than them. That they're still trying How to make the pieces How fit.
1: Dare you? Dare you,
2: <laughs> They're still trying to make the pieces fit. And as I mentioned, there's been all this drama. It doesn't seem like everybody's happy there. Um, and now here comes Manchester City, who, by the way, have this like batan death march this week: away to Chelsea, away to PSG, and then away to Liverpool at the weekend. So that's quite the three game set there. Uh, but they won the first one, and they come into Paris here. So this could go one of two ways with PSG. This could be the game that launches their season. Let's say Messi starts, the three of them click, they play well, they beat Manchester City, they're off and running. Or this could be the game if they lay an egg, City go in there, beat them. That all these sort of simmering crisis, crises, uh really, you know, bubble come to the up so, bubble uh, up, right. and and questions are asked of Pochettino, and and so we'll see how it goes. I hope Messi plays.
1: I, hope, I mean, this, oh, of this type of game, you you kind of, this is why he was brought there. Let's be honest. So, all right. Uh, So, who do you got in that one? PSG, Man City, Manchester City. You do all right. They come in there. Pep, even without a striker, even (laughs) even overthinking it, he 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 figures it out. Okay.
2: Ederson gets injured. Zach Steffen comes in as a blinder. (laughs) There
1: we go. Perfect. Perfect. Um, Uh, What about uh, UV Chelsea?
2: Uh, sounds like no Dybala, no Morata for Juve in that game. They both got injured at the weekend, so advantage Chelsea there. I think I think Chelsea bounced back with a W.
1: All right. Well, we just heard you t- tell us how great AC Milan is, so AC Milan hosting Atletico. Uh,
2: Atletico, who, as we mentioned, lost to Alaves at the weekend. Uh, should I revisit my Diego Simeone, Leroy Horde uh, analogy? Did you enjoy that? I did. I had to
1: look up <laughs> stuff after, but I did enjoy it.
2: No, no, I won't go there again. People can listen to last week's pod for that. Uh, but yeah, Milan, Atlético Madrid, Porto, Liverpool, so some other uh, good games. But I mean, let's be honest, PSG, Manchester City is yeah, hit. that's
1: the one. Yeah, that that that's the one. All right, you uh, as always want to hit on Copa, don't you? Copa Libertadores,
2: two straight weeks, Luis Aguilar. Listen, without my prompting has put this in listen, the rundown.
1: This is but yeah, and gold I mean, here. I mean,
2: just to advance the story because I previewed the semifinals. So the first legs were played last week, uh, in then all Brazilian affair. Palmeiras and Atlético Mineiro played to a nil-nil draw in one of the top five worst soccer matches I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) Uh, And then uh, in the other... semifinal. Flamengo uh, beat Barcelona Guayaquil 2-0 at the Maracana. They played the whole second half virtually up a man. They were up 2-0 at the half, and then and Barcelona Guayaquil had a guy sent off late in the first half. So you thought, oh my god, they're going to pile on here and and end this uh, right here today. And they didn't. They didn't tack on any more goals. They had kind of a disappointing second half. So they left the door slightly open. They now have to go to Ecuador and, and have some work to do still. But I expect Bar- uh, Flamengo to go through. Uh, and then, you know, the other one is kind of up in the air. If Palmeiras Atlético Mineiro. Now we go to you know, I me mean, at home, so advantage Atletico because they're home, but I don't know. That one still feels pretty wide open to me. So uh
1: so you still see a, an all Brazilian affair I, I, in All Brazilian
2: uh, and and by the way, there's a very good chance for an all Brazilian final in the Sudamerican as well. I won't get into that uh this week, but uh next week we'll we'll put a ribbon on on the semifinals of both South American club competitions and we'll see if we're sitting here with a clean sweep of four Brazilian clubs involved. So
1: well done my friend. I think uh I think you have done a wonderful job as always of wow. giving folks a uh uh you know a uh, a cliff notes versions of what's going on out there there's so much other stuff that we could talk about but um well done uh anything else mussy uh that's it okay we're gonna take another quick break when we come back oh it's time for ask alexi don't go anywhere Okay, we're back, and it's time for Ask Alexi. You use that hashtag, Ask Alexi. And uh, as we've said uh, time and time again, we also have our hotline. Uh, That is 657-549-2297. Our uh, State of the Union hotline, 657-549-2297. We've taken uh, some calls and some some tweets uh, out there for some different questions that the folks have. Uh, What's first, Mossy?
2: First up, at MC Bratch. Right. It sounds like a rapper's name, MC Brad. Right. He asks uh, Magic Wand question. Which famous U.S. men's national team near miss would you change to a goal? Uh, a, Marcelo Balboa's bicycle kick versus Colombia in the 1994 World Cup. B, Wandelowski's chip over the bar versus Belgium in the 2014 World Cup.
1: Um, well, I'm about winning. Okay. And, uh, you know, Wondolowski's miss, the legendary miss against Belgium in 2014 would have enabled us to have the chance of advancing. So, I'm going to go with that one. Having said that, I I, I still, I can't even imagine what Marcelo uh, gets, but I still get questions about that uh, that bicycle kick. And, you know, I, I was on the field at the time, and it was not a surprise that Marcelo Balboa threw bikes, because he did it on a consistent basis. And the grace in which he did it. I mean, for example, if I were to try something like that, it would <laughs> look very, very different. But this was something that was tried and tested for him over the years. He, you know, since then, uh, had thrown them in, um, in Major League Soccer. You can go back and find those on YouTube. So this is in his arsenal of things that he could do. Uh, had that gone in, it would be up there with the greatest goals ever scored in World Cups, without a doubt. I have, I have no doubt in that. And yes, there were, you know, more epic ones. You know, the, uh, uh, with uh, with uh, with uh, Diego Maradona's, you know, Hannah God and all that kind of stuff. But just from a pure aesthetic perspective, it would be in every highlight. It would be in every montage, every sizzle reel of the history of the World Cup. And yet. It still appears in a lot of those things simply because of the grace, the style uh, that happened. And so, Mondolaski's doesn't appear in anything, okay? People bring it up just because we, re- we remember it. But I think that there is such a reverence and a appreciation for what it took that even though it didn't result in a goal, it is still a highlight that to this day still gets talked about. And that, that's a credit to Marcelo Babo, the player uh, that he was, the grace and style and the, the courage and the balls to be able to think I'm going to do this and then have the capacity to be able to do it, um, that it didn't go in. I, I don't think he necessarily, you know, thinks what if, but you never know these you know, life changes sometimes on seemingly small things are on millimeters here, here or there. And it just, I mean, it went by the post by just a, an inch or so. So it was an amazing moment. But I, if I had to pick one, yeah, I want to do well in World Cups. I want to advance in World Cups. And we ended up winning that game against Columbia. So we didn't necessarily need it, but the beauty of it deserved to go back in the, in the back of the net. So damn you, soccer gods.
2: If that ball goes in. Mm-hmm. Is Marcelo Balboa sitting here today doing a podcast? <laughs> Probably.
1: Yes. I mean, so for you, that's the problem. You yeah, know, that's, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I will say, I, I agree with you. Uh, the Balboa bicycle kick is a play that still evokes positive feelings. It's a game the U.S. won. It's it's a fantastic attempt on his part. You watch that and as a U.S. Mm-hmm. fan, you feel, oh, it could have been even better, but it's still a cool it's play amazing. to go back and look at. It's so cool. The Juan Nalowski is an, Agonizing, no. painful miss that was the difference between winning and losing a knockout game in the World Cup. So, I, with all due respect to MC Bratch, I don't know how this is even debatable. Yeah,
1: exactly. But, but like I said, if I'm if I'm talking about which one I would rather have go go in, I want one to, ask you to go in. Okay. And, and even for Wando, because he has to answer constantly that question about it and talk about it. And he's done an incredible job of dealing with it over the years. All right, what's next, Mosse?
2: Uh So I think the next one is an audio one. Okay. Uh, Ryan asked Ryan. about refereeing.
1: Ryan, using our hotline. Once again, 657-549-2297. Let's see what Ryan has to say.
0: Hey, guys. This is Ryan from Tucson. My question has to do with the art of refereeing. With all the soccer that we watch from week to week from all these different parts of the world, do you feel like the game is officiated any differently from CONCACAF to UEFA to the AFC, or even from Syria as opposed to the EPL already VAR is being viewed and received differently by different leagues. Is it the same with normal officials, the subjective flavor to each league, if you will. And on a side note, as a military member, thank you for all the kind words and your one for the road segment. Take care. Fellas. Oh,
1: okay. Refereeing question. Um, I think we've we've talked a little bit about this, but it is fascinating when we get to, for example, a a World Cup, men's or women's, because you have obviously players from all over the world and teams from all the world and all of the different history and baggage and and different ways that they think about the game. But you also have referees from all over the world that are asked to come in. And they bring with them their culture and their history and all of that baggage that they have. And I know that they're kind of drilled to try to get some sort of consistency out there. But if you are a player and you are on the field in an international capacity, whether it's playing with a national team or whether it's playing club internationally, and you don't recognize that you are a stranger in a strange land and that you need to be able to know and adjust accordingly to the way the game is not only played, but viewed and refereed, then you're doing, you're doing it wrong. And we absolutely knew when we stepped on the field that a referee uh, from Germany was going to referee the game differently than a referee from Mexico, uh, who was going to differ different from a referee from Asia or or any place else out there. And that's, that's actually a good thing. I, I enjoy that nuance about the game and look. It's about interpretation oftentimes of these laws that we have. And I'm not talking about black or white, but even the interaction between referees and and players. And you know, I think I've told the story before. The first game I ever played in Ecuador when I was down playing for uh, Emelec down in Ecuador, I got in the referee's face after a call and proceeded to swear in Spanish. In, and that's on me because immediately I got thrown out of the game. I got a red card, boom, out of the game. Not because I had said anything particularly wrong, but I was framing it in the way that I would have reacted and talked to a referee in the United States, where they would have just let it, let it go. But the cultures and the difference and the culture clash was right there and present in that moment. And that's on me to not recognize that I was someplace different and I couldn't necessarily do the things and have the same behavior and actions that would that would apply elsewhere. And so, yes, to your point, it is done differently. And I love that about the game. And inevitably, in all these tournaments that we have, we see a moment where it is this clash of cultures. And oftentimes it plays out uh, when it comes to um, what we would call uh, embellishment or. Faking uh, or diving, if you will, in the way that some cultures actually see it as an attribute, as a skill, if it is done correctly and in a way of enhancing and/or, I guess, fooling the referee to gain an advantage. And there is a real quality and value associated to it, as opposed to other countries and cultures that look at it as you're a horrible person and you're cheating and you're betraying uh, um, the game. Uh, and yourself in that action. And it's uh, an incredible act of disrespect to be able to do that. So, it's a good it's a good question and we see it. It's not going to change, even with the changing of the laws, everybody's gonna inter- interpret things differently. And that's part of, I think, the beauty of the game is that we interpret it, we play the game, we watch the game, and in this case, we referee the games uh, differently. Anything, Mossy, on that?
2: Uh, no, okay. next, next up, at Vogler, Michael asks, Um, Why do we produce this quality of women players and the men have been so disappointing? Crazy.
1: And this is on the heels of the the U.S. women's uh, national team performance uh, over the last week. Two games against uh, Paraguay, right? Yeah. Uh, And it was, when I say games, I use that term very, very loosely. Uh, I know you worked them, so so give us a little perspective.
2: What happened was... The US beat Paraguay 9-0 in the first game. They played again a few days later, and Paraguay said, Look, we have too much pride to let this happen again. You're not gonna beat us 9-0 again. <laughs> exactly. So it was 8-0.
1: So. It was it was 8-0. And look, the 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 uns you know, not surprisingly, the reaction to a lot of people was, why the hell are we playing these games? Now, the these games They did nothing for either team. Okay, Paraguay didn't change or learn from this game and the U.S. didn't change or learn from this game. As I've said time and time again, the reality is that Latko Andonowski, the head coach of the U.S. women's national team, he probably learns a hell of a lot more from the training that he does between his team because they are so elite and they are so good than he does from many of the games that they play. And the reality is that in an age and a time when we're having the pandemic, beggars can't be choosers. And the United States Soccer Federation has to take what they can get and the U.S. women have to play the opponent that they can get in that moment. And they're contractually obligated to have games in order to feed the beast uh, and in order to pay the women and in order to live up to the contract- contractual obligations uh, that they have. So while it's not great from a competitive standpoint and it doesn't change anything in terms of their development or help uh, either of these teams, it's it's out of necessity and it's out of reality of where we are uh, right now. The reason why our women are so good and there is such a disparity in talent, both individually and collectively with much of the rest of the world, is because from we're talking decades ago, our country and our culture in the United States, we have put a premium and we have put focus and attention um, and we have mandated and we have legislated for uh, for equality when it comes to our um, our sports between uh, men and women. And that has benefited the U.S. Women's National Team. And they have had a decades long head start against almost all all of the rest of the world. And that is manifested in us being great and being great consistently and still producing wonderful talent. And the amount of resources and attention that we put on uh, women's soccer relative to most of the rest of the world is night and day. Is it enough? No. Okay, but once again, perspective is in order. And that's why it is so different. The women have had that head start. The men, all right, have been competing with countries and cultures that have been putting money and resources and time and energy and culture into the men's game, some in some cases, for 100 years. And so that has been that head start that the U.S. men have been constantly trying to make up ground on over the years. And that is the difference between uh, the men's national team and the women's national team in terms of that uh, history. So it's not really that crazy. Actually, it's actually it's pretty logical when you look at the history and what uh, and what has happened, and why our U.S. women have been traditionally so good, and why our U.S. men—I don't think that they've necessarily been disappointing, but certainly haven't been as dominating, even close to as dominating as the as as the women. And a lot of it comes down to history and culture. And there should be an element of pride in the way that we have looked at our U.S. women's national team and the way that we have looked at women's sports uh, relative to the rest of the world. Um, and we have built it up and we have reaped the benefits of that for now, as I said, multiple decades.
2: Last question. At, at Lamar asks, I'm going to try to go to the World Cup qualifier at the Azteca. I haven't left the country in 11 years and I'm kind of nervous. What should I know and how long should I spend in Mexico Ooh. City?
1: You'll have a great time. Don't worry about it. You'll be fine. Uh, I think I, I, I tweeted back to you and I said, um, you know, make sure just be smart. Recognize that you are a guest there and your actions and your behavior will be judged and rightfully so. And it will be ref- a reflection on you, but it will also be a reflection on your nation. So while you may not kick a ball, you are there. Uh, And you are representing the United States in everything that you do. Uh, Having said that, you're going to have a great time. Aztec is one of the great stadiums of the world with the incredible history. Um, It's it's fun. It is safe. It is crazy. Um, Do stay with a group. All right. There is safety in numbers. Don't be a moron. Don't do stupid things that would put you in harm's way or increase your chances of uh, provoking others or creating a situation where you and or others would be unsafe, but definitely if you get the chance to go down there, wonderful city, wonderful food, wonderful culture, wonderful people. As I said, the stadium is unlike anything that, uh, you have probably ever seen, especially when it's a U.S.-Mexico game. I remember, I'll never forget the the face of my good friend Bob Lee, legend in broadcasting, when he walked into Azteca for a U.S.-Mexico game for the first time ever. And he had been around a lot longer than I had when it, come to, when it came to broadcasting. And to just see his face light up like a little boy, a guy who has been so heavily involved in soccer, I will never forget that. And that's the effect that some uh, that a stadium like that and other stadiums out there can have on people.
2: Uh, Bill Simmons uh, attended a Mexico-U.S. World Cup Qualifier at Estega, I think, back in 2009. I remember it well. I was there
1: with him drinking tequila the night before.
2: Yeah, he wrote a column about it and said it was this life-altering experience that turned him into a soccer fan. He he couldn't believe how passionate the fans were. He said nothing in American sports equated to that. Uh, So, actually, I would recommend at Lamar, maybe go back and read that column. I'm sure it's still in the page two archives somewhere. You can dig it up, uh, and that'll get you excited for attending that
1: game. All right, anything else, Mossy? No, Do you know what time it is, Alexi? Um, It's probably time for One for the Road if we're at the end here. It's Wings time. (sighs) Ooh, great tease. All right, listen, we're going to uh, take a real quick break here. And when I come back, yes, it is going to be my One for the Road. And the saga of the Wings is going to continue. So please don't go anywhere. OK, welcome back. It is the end of our show. And at the end of the show, as you know, we do uh, my one for the road. And if you've been following us over the last couple of weeks, we've had the great wings debate um, and it all stemmed from a tweet I had a few weeks ago where I made my long held belief very public in that. And I'll read me the tweet once again. wings. Talking about chicken wings. Wings are ridiculous. The return on investment is horrible. They are messy, frustrating, and inevitably unsatisfying. Sauces are literally used to cover up the abomination that is in the basket. I hold firm this belief and have for many, many years. But when I made this public, as we know, all hell broke loose. The sides uh, were picked. Everybody went to a different side. I was amazed at how many people actually... Shared, but were scared to death to agree with me, but shared my opinion. Having said that, uh, we are at the end of the show. I can smell something wafting over the set right now. We have gone out and we have gotten some wings because I think people are, are hell bent on changing my mind. Uh, and we have gotten some wings. They are warm, they are ready to go. We are going to bring them in. Luis, are you, uh, are you ready for the unveiling here? All right. Let's see. Do we know what these, what kind of wings these are?
2: These
1: are lemon pepper. Lemon pepper wings. And those are mild. And these are mild. Good. Those are much, much uh, more, right? Okay.
2: Those are those are like chill too. Those are even less
1: spicy. Okay, so I'm going to walk you through this. Uh, I know some people listen to this podcast and don't see what's going on. We have just been handed two plates of wings. Uh, I have picked up one actual wing. As we know, when it comes to wings, it's not just wings. It's the. Um, I guess you know, drumstick type of thing too here, which if I have to pick, I'm always going for the drumstick over the actual wing. Now, I hope the camera can get this here. This is the wing, your normal wing that you would get when you are out with folks, right? You like wings, right? Uh, I wanna make sure, uh, establish this. Look how small this wing is, all right? So what is the size of the bird that we are killing and maiming in great numbers in order to satisfy uh, our, our wing thing? I mean, this is just a little, poor little wing, of a chicken or a a chick, I guess, maybe just one of those little yellow chickens or something like that. There's chicks. So here it is. So as I said, I can see the meat on this. Okay. I can find a way like, you know, like that, I can get that. No problem. I got it. It's still a lot of work. Once again, my fingers are already, there's, there's shit dripping all over the place here. Okay. But when it comes to this now, where am I biting into? Because anywhere I bite into here, I'm going to hit some sort of form of bone, right? So I can tear it apart. Once again, it's really messy. Like this and like this. All right. So now I'm pulling this stuff out here.
2: Can, can Once I uh, eat I'm starving. Can I eat? I mean, what's my role in this segment? I don't know. Do you have something to say? No, I just want to eat.
1: <laughs> oh, I love wings. I don't need to be convinced. And these look Why great. Why do by you the way. love wings, though? I mean, look. This is this is the morsel that I'm ultimately getting out of my work here. Okay, can you see this? This is all this work, and this is what I get. And once again, I'm not saying that this doesn't taste good, but I feel like if we're gonna have little chickens, right, then we should have little humans, okay, working on the side to get my meat. To you know how sometimes when you go to a restaurant, and you ask for a fish. They will debone it. I want my wings deboned when it comes to me. Okay. So I want little, <laughs> little humans on the side using their little hands and deboning it for me and then just giving me as many of these morsels as possible because I'm a big guy. All right. That's not going to do me any good. All right. There's not enough beer in the world to make this sustainable or good. All right. Like, that's nothing. That's like a little, a little morsel. So once again, as I said, they're messy. Yes, uh, they're frustrating. Yes, I'm frustrated here because I got this, I got crap all over the place here. Um, they are unsatisfying because that's what I have to eat this on a consistent basis. That doesn't do me any good at all, Mossy. This, these are the problems. I'm not saying that this doesn't taste good. I'm not saying that there isn't that, that this is the worst thing that I've ever tasted. I'm just saying. In order to get where I need to go, there are much easier and more effective ways of doing it. Anyway, we appreciate everybody. Um, and I know there's people out there going, that's not real wings. Yeah, those aren't real wings. You, you, know, no, you, you can't possibly have those wings. I'll take you to a real wings place and all that kind of stuff. I get that. I know now for forevermore, people are going to come up to me and yell at me for my wings take and try once again to convince me that this is something uh, that I should uh, embrace, but not yet.
2: I know you said uh, the sauce is used to uh, erase the taste, and so perhaps Luis felt like including sauce would have been playing into your no, argument. The I, sauce I, is-
1: I, I, I could have used a little blue cheese here. I mean, I appreciate <laughs> Luis, but. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying, like I said, this is not. I'm not gagging on this, all right, in that it's chicken. Chicken tastes like chicken, right? But to a lot of people and to you, to your point, the sauces are really what makes it. But with all the work and all the ridiculous skeletal remains, uh, it's not even remains in the initial skeleton and then the remains that are there. It's really just a way to dip stuff in other stuff that tastes ultimately better at ranch or honey mustard or whatever type of stuff
2: You like say that. it's messy to eat, so I shouldn't be ordering wings on my dates. Is that a no, mistake? No, absolutely
1: not. And, you know, yours are, are, are I think, spicier than mine because I I do not like spice. The spice thing is ridiculous. You should not be in pain eating food. I know that there's people that hurt so good. I, I, I understand that, but I am not one of those people. I do not want to be in pain.
2: I think it's because I'm manlier than you.
1: It's very possible, absolutely, that you are manlier than me when it comes to something like this. Anyway... Uh, we appreciate everybody um, sending us uh, all of their different well, questions. What is, what
2: is Louis Com- gesturing to oh, me?
1: Do we should we switch here? Is perhaps oh that's the spicy one? No, that's just a different t- a different flavor. Oh, that's not gonna, nothing's going to change Louise. I don't think that you have changed my mind when it comes to something like this. As I said, I, and now I got crap all over the place. I, I can't even touch any of my papers or my or my computer. I-, I know I got the this thing and stuff like that. But uh, once
2: again, it's it's unnecessarily messy. If you're not going to eat any more, once I'm done with my plate, I will have yours. I know you will. This is my lunch. All right,
1: listen. um, We thank you. We know we've gone a little bit long here, but we wanted to at least pay off this bit that we have beaten to death over the last couple of weeks. Um, I will not stop the the questions, comments, and concerns when it comes to a lot of different things, including uh, wings, nor should it. I understand that people are it's near and dear to their heart, and and they look at it as sacrilege when when I talk about these things when it comes to Wings. Uh, continue to send your comments and your questions and your concerns, uh, speaking of them. Use that hashtag, Eskalexi, over there. Our hotline, again, a reminder, 657- 549-2297. That's 657-549-2297. We will be back here again next week on the State of the Union pod, with or without uh, Wings. I hope you have a wonderful week. I hope everybody stays safe and sane. Uh, as I said we'll be back here again next week i will continue to have some of these wings to the extent that i can actually find any meat when it comes uh, to the thing that has been put in front of me but until then and as always size the day